96 FM, as we watch the tumbling dice of life uh, roll in front of us. So if, in fact, right now, Lisa, if there's one person we could talk to, we came up with uh, a name with so much, so many questions to be asked and so much curiosity. And it is the uh, WA uh, AMA president, um, almost a year in the job. I believe it was June of last year. Dr. Mark Duncan Smith's online. Good morning, Doc. Yeah, good, good morning. morning. Good morning. We've got a couple of things that we want to talk to you about uh, today. First of all, these rats, um, the, the tests. I have been hearing a lot of chatter about the government-issued saliva ones, the ones they sort of refer to as the lollipop ones where you swipe it around the inside of your mouth and pop it into the test. A lot of people are saying that they're finding those ineffective, like they're, they're doing one of those and it's coming up negative and then they're doing a, you know, up-the-nose one and it's lighting up like a Christmas tree. Have you heard anything along these lines? And is it... Is it user error? Is Are we doing it wrong? Yeah, look, uh, any test has false positives and false negatives. And when you talk about a test, you've got to talk in terms of um, sensitivity, specificity, positive predictive value, negative predictive value to really evaluate a test, but to really get around all that, because it took me ages to understand it myself. Mm. Look, rats are not as accurate as PCR. Rats are sort of, if you want to talk in very general terms, sort of 80 to 90% accurate, whereas mm. rats are... Really? Wow. About 90, 98% accurate plus. Sure. You've got to look at the, the actual setting. The, the advantage of rats is that they can be rolled out to the compute community, uh, a community community person or or people can just do it themselves and, and the result's there in 15 minutes, as opposed to a PCR that has to have a, 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 pr- a professional do the swab, it has to have a healthcare professional do the analysis, yeah. takes hours, um, needs a specific laboratory. So there's not scalability in a PCR test. So both tests have their place. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yes, I haven't heard anything specific about certain types of tests, but all tests are meant to be TGA approved, so they should uh, reach certain parameters. Yeah. A lot of situations where you get a false negative um, may be that the, the sample sampling error, as you say, I mean, ultimately, if you take the rat and stick it in your armpit, then you're, mm. you're not going get to a, get a good result. Yeah. But you certainly need to read the instructions very, very, very carefully and, and apply it properly. I do feel it's a little, there's, there's a little element of Mickey Mouse about it in terms of we're not nurses, we're not doctors, and yet all of a sudden we're doing all our own testing and things. And I, the, the instructions could be a little clearer, I think. Mm. They're fairly yeah. loose. Look, when Some you've got people a math... aren't so bright. When you've got a mass outbreak in a pandemic like this, though, the, the benefit of the rat is a, is a screening tool yep. um, and it is right. scalable. So, so okay. you, you know, you've got, okay. you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people out there having a rat, whereas the PCR system can't handle that. No, but okay. You've also got to not. take it in context. Yep. If you're a close contact with someone mm. and you've got a couple of sniffles and you're getting a negative rat, well, you probably should be uh, assuming that you're positive and go out and get a PCR. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Just, to, just to be more sure. Yeah. As yeah. always, I'm, common sense. Geez, I'd be worried if, if you're positive after sticking it under your armpit. But that's a, <laughs> it's a pretty, It's a pretty dirty armpit. Yeah, okay, Mark, with what's going on, Mark, masks. Should we put them back on everywhere, not just in hospitals? What do you think? I've not taken mine off. I've, okay. continued, right. I've continued to wear mine indoors um, as per the previous restrictions. Okay. Um, I think it is absolutely crazy that we're not wearing them now. Um, a week and a half ago is when the Premier took off the masks, stopped the mandate. Yep. Um, it takes about a week before a public health measure either has effect or its effect is seen. Yeah. And <laughs> almost, almost to the day we've seen a massive mm. upswing. Um, this was predictable. The restrictions were reduced when we were in a plateau phase. And if anything, the plateau phase had a very slight incline 
if you have a look at the rolling seven-day average. So we all heard about, you know, flatten the curve. That's why we need to do all these things in yep. the early days. Well, what happens when you do something and reduce a measure that is flattening the curve or the line um, is when you're on a plateau phase, well, it, it goes up. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we've seen now. Now, the scary thing from my point of view mm. is as night follows day, hospitalizations follow new cases. Yep. So in the next week, um, I mean, it's a horrible day today. There's a storm out there, mm. but this isn't, this isn't the only storm we're going to get in the next week. Yeah, 40% okay. increase is fairly significant. And uh, should we be particularly concerned with heading into winter? Is, is that a factor? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Winter, winter, winter is coming. Thank you. Thank you. We do need to be worried about that. Now, yeah. what I'm worried about with hospitalizations isn't the hospitalizations today. Yeah. It's the hospitalizations in a week now from now, which is where we're going to see that 17,000 cases. Right. Now, also, our rolling three-day average is, is way up now, at, at, you know, 13,000 cases a day. So this is not a one-off um, number. This is a real increase that we're actually seeing. Now, we'll see a dip over the weekend, as we normally do, and then, you know, hopefully we'll be back into a plateau next week, but we don't know, and we'll just have to see where that goes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, mate, we've heard in the news throughout the morning your quotes, Mark, and you're pleading to the Premier, but is a, does the Premier listen? You, do you have a meeting with him? What happens now? Oh, no, I, no, we don't have regular meetings right. or anything yeah. like that. Okay. Um, look, it's, I, I have a good relationship with the Health Minister, and... Yeah. and mm. Um, we have regular. I have regular meetings with the health minister, uh, but it is just a, a concern of where we're heading. And as you say, with winter coming, with the flu season, yeah. the demand on beds, we're already in a bad place. And mm. my point about all this is, our medical system did not have a lot of reserve when we started this pandemic, um, and we don't have a lot of reserve now. People say, "Oh, there's only you know ten people in ICU." Well, those ICUs are already full. Yeah, from yes. business as usual. Sure. So, yeah. you know, elective surgery was cancelled at one of the public hospitals um, last week because. ICU is full. Yeah. So it's, ICU is not sitting there empty. They've got, they're full of people already. Yeah. Mm. On another note, and this is something, ambulance ramping is something mm. that's really, it's not something that I've just heard about in the last couple of years. It's, for, it's gone on for as long as I can remember. Yep. And there's been a lot of talk about ambulances and ramping again recently and people being encouraged not to call for one unless absolutely necessary, which seems obvious to me. But, I mean, I cannot believe some of the people that front to the emergency department, let alone call an ambulance for things that they really shouldn't be calling them for. When an ambulance shows up to one of these cases, do they are they within their rights to say, listen, you don't need us. Call your doctor in the morning. Um, and you know or do or do people have the right to demand that they be taken to hospital in the ambulance with their stub toe? I don't think they've got a right. I think that's that's really a question for St John's. But oh, okay. if, if, if you really look at that issue of the, the GP patients that go to EDs, mm. look, they're, not, they're not the patients that are the, the biggest problem because they get seen and they go home. Yeah. Mm. It's actually the patients. It's, they're not the actual cause of ramping. Ramping is caused by patients going to ED that need to go into hospital and the hospital's already full. Right. Yeah, so, okay. So this is, this is, again, a little bit of a furphy and a little bit of a, of a diversion. Okay. Um, the, 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 I've said this before. The top three causes of ramping are lack of beds, yep. lack of beds, and lack of beds. Okay. Okay. Now, the McGowan government over the last five years has not invested in increasing the capacity of the medical system, and ramping has increased from when they took over five times 
on a steady increase. So it's not like this is a big surprise and COVID all of a sudden has gone smack and caused all this. No, it this has been, been this has been a chronic that. underinvestment in the system over five years by the McGowan government, and, and now and now we're reaping the rewards of that underinvestment. Yeah, not rewards we want, and uh, it sounds like dominoes uh, can cause a yeah. thing all the way down the line there, Mark. Yeah. It's becoming a perfect storm, I'm afraid. All right. All right. Well, I think we'll have to. We really are out of time. Yeah. Um, always uh, absolutely fantastic to talk to you, Dr. Mark Duncan Smith. Great day. Have a great day. You, you too. too. Thanks, Mark.